For every veteran, there is a story. A story about a calling to serve, to fight for the freedoms of the American people. And every story has a struggle, a sacrifice, and invisible wounds. Warrior Watts programs help veterans recover from PTSD and invisible wounds through exercise, nutrition, and connecting with other veteran leaders. It is estimated that 22 veterans die each day by suicide and another 30 veterans die each day by substance abuse. These are preventable deaths. Warrior Watt is committed to fighting PTSD through fitness, nutrition, and community. opportunity to support our heroes in their time of need. Will you join us and take action? All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Fit Nation. We are a show founded by a veteran and hosted by two veterans and a military spouse. Our mission is to get people to tell their story to the world. If you're an author, share your tips with Ms. Fitnation. If you're a musician or actor, our audience needs to know how they too can get into the business. Coaches, we love our coaches. Come on and share some of your tips with the Ms. Nation to help them become better versions of themselves. If you're a corporate leader or an entrepreneur, come on and share how you did it and how hard you have fought for success. If you're a veteran, first responder, or Gold Star family. We would love to have you come on and just share your story with the Misfit Nation. We always have time for you. If you're feeling down, alone, or starting to see the darkness, stop. Think about those who are around you. You are not alone. You will be missed. If you feel like your problems will be a burden to those in your inner circle or are embarrassed, dial 988. If you are a veteran, Take option one. We need you to keep pushing forward. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, welcome to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps and also on our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the bell to keep you up to date with our latest episodes and all of our news. You can also find us on Heroes Media Group and about face radio now let's get to the show all right all right all right welcome to tuesday night after dinner show after a long day in the woods with soldiers it's great to be behind the mic with the fan on getting some cool air today our next guest is a certified coach and california native currently living in tennessee she loves yoga it's experimenting in the kitchen a rowdy game of Hold'em, and all the puppies. She's an Army combat veteran and a champion for removing the barriers to VA mental health care. So without further ado, let's welcome Lisa Federline to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks, Rich. 
It's nice to be here. It's great to have you here. I know we connected probably a couple months ago via Instagram, I believe, was when we first met. And I finally got you on here. And it's great to have you here and have you share your little bit of your story, uh, where you came from, how we got to where we are now, and, of course, what you're doing now. So if you don't mind breaking it down and sharing with the Misfit Nation a little bit more about you from as far back as you want to go to how we got here. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I guess I'd probably start. Well, um, my specific coaching, of course, is uh, anxiety and panic attacks. So just anyone really struggling with those mental health issues, specifically panic disorder. Um, and of course, the focus on first responders, veterans, military, you know, um, anyone that any population that really seems to struggle a little bit more than the general public with those things. And I went through a period myself of anxiety and panic attacks with agoraphobia where I couldn't leave the house for about a year. And this was after I was out of the army. I was just having so many panic attacks every day. I didn't know what to do with it. And I wasn't receiving the type of care that I hoped I would, you know, to move past that. And there was just a lot of a lot of shame, embarrassment. I felt weak. Um, I didn't understand why I couldn't handle that, why I couldn't just tough my way out of it anymore, like I've been doing for the past decade, you know, just kind of white knuckling through all the anxiety and panic. Um, so it was a very, uh, I call it the dark year of my homebound soul. So, you know, and I really did try hard to seek help for these issues, you know, through the VA. And um, counselors are wonderful. I really do appreciate everything they do. I know they have a tough job and a lot of veterans to work with. Um, unfortunately for me, it didn't, it wasn't as effective as I'd like it to have been. Um, I felt like it was a real mental disease model that pushed a lot of pills. Um, and I really didn't want to put a Band-Aid on something that, you know, and cope with it for the rest of my life. So I wanted, I really just wanted to excavate and get to the bottom of it. Uh, so I just started seeking alternative approaches and, you know, started my motto, skills before pills, and really did that hard work of getting out of the trenches and back into the world. And once I learned, you know, and, and put panic attacks behind me, I mean, I went from having on average and that, you know, the, the real thick of it, probably about five a day um, to it's probably been about nine years since I've had one. Wow. Uh, so it's just really not a thing anymore. And, and once I learned how to move past that, I, I decided that I, I wanted to share that with people, how to do that. I know, I know it's a struggle for a lot and I know how helpless you feel and how devastating it can be. And it just interrupts so much of your life, you know, and I just wanted to be able to give that back. Definitely. And uh, I agree with you a hundred percent skills before pills. I like that uh, motto. I just wrote it down on my board here. So I might be stealing a little bit from you, but I'll, I'll give you credit for it every time I use it on the show. Absolutely. But I remember the first time I walked into the VA here in Clarksville before they built the shiny new building. I walked in, the building was already drab and dark and it was kind of eerie in there. And everyone was just downtrodden. Their heads were down or out of it. And they told me I had to go to Nashville. So I went to Nashville and the same thing was zombies walking down the hallway. Cause like you said, everything was just bag of medicine. If, Oh, this is your problem. Here's a bag of medicine. Take this medicine. Don't worry about it, if it interacts with each other and it causes other problems. 
well, you can take this medicine and well, this band-aid will keep it on there until the next doctor wants to talk to you. And I, you had the same experience. So obviously it was still happening. Yours is a little bit before mine, about seven years ago, yours thought nine, you said. So, and I think now, I think they're starting to see the holistic approach a little more, but they're still pushing meds at this time. Well, that's really good to hear. I'm, I'm sorry, that was your experience as well. It is, you know, when you're already in such a vulnerable and susceptible state and, and you're feeling a bit hopeless, just to, you know, it's, there's not a lot of hope in that model. You know, it's just covert right. or, or numb or, you know, and, and honestly, I mean, I, I, for a while there, I preferred alcohol to numb myself from it. Um, <laughs> I, I did go down that route for a while and, and learned, you know, um, but, but really it's just, it's not a long, it's not a sustainable solution to getting your life back. Exactly. Did you seek help while you were still in the service or did you kind of go with the stigma and not go and get help? Mm. So, you know, there's still a little embarrassment around this. That's um, interesting to watch it come up now. I actually had my first panic attack of my life in Afghanistan. And so I had no choice but to go see the chaplain. Um, I didn't know what it was, but the medics did <laughs> once they checked me out. So I did go see the chaplain. Um, so it wasn't voluntarily seeking, you know, um, assistance for it. And this was in 2005. I'm not sure how different it is, you know, now with the stigma surrounding it. I, I know there are still, I know it's gotten better. I know it's gotten a lot better. However, at the time, you know, there was a lot of it there, especially in that location. Um, so there was a lot of shame surrounding that. And I, I sucked it up and tried to hide it for much longer. Oh, of course. <laughs> right. I mean, how, how about you? May I ask if if you did? Uh, did I ever ask, seek help? Uh, after my fourth, uh, third combat deployment, I lost a soldier, uh, Sergeant Michael Beckerman, and I helped everyone else on the deployment and got them all the mental health care they needed, but never got help for myself. And we came home and did the, you know, reintegration training, reintegration processing such. And I went to the provider and said, look, I need to talk to someone. I need help. And they looked me right in the eyes and said, you're a sergeant first class. Go back to work. <sighs> so I went back to work and uh, I didn't see seek medical help, mental health until I got out of the military in 2015. So it was four years later. That's a long time to white knuckle through that. I understand. Yes. Wow. I just yeah. kept going back to work. That's all I kept doing, going back to work until I, and then even when I, the first two or well, three, three VA mental health people that I seen the first one I just did not get along with. So I didn't go back. The second one, I got escorted out of the hospital. And then the third one I asked to go off, off, off of the into community care. And I found someone that actually helped me and we did a EMDR and uh, that helped me out tremendously. And since then I've been just coasting. doing well. Oh, I'm really glad to hear that. Yes. Uh, when I got here about a year ago, they, the VA was backed up about six months and um, I got put, I really appreciate that community care option. Yes. And I mean, some of the, the specialty care places, they'll get you in like maybe x-rays or MRIs and stuff. But if you need mental health care, that's way backed up, especially now that a lot of our brothers and sisters from Vietnam through Desert Storm are finally seeking care too now. For years and years, they did not want to get care. They did not trust the VA. 
And now they say, oh, we need help too. And uh, we see this younger generation getting help. We need this help too. So now if you go in the hallways, now you'll see a wide range of uh, diverse culture that's in the hallway now. I really love that. Yeah, so you'll see the help. And like you said earlier, not one, one size doesn't fit all with mental health care. And I think uh, your approach is probably best for many people that some people don't even know that's the best approach for them. They think they have to go to the, the textbook approach. So you got to kind of weed out what helps you and what doesn't. Yep. Agreed. And I'm not, um, you know, against medication, I believe, especially if you're in a very, you know, um, sensitized state or, you know, just having, having a rough time, um, that can be a great supplement to learning skills that'll, you know, and just, you know, whatever works best for each individual. Exactly. If, if they individualize the treatment, it, the VA would be a hundred percent better, but they, they have the checklist. Like if you or I walk in at the same time and we say we went to combat, oh, that's a check, check. Uh, we've seen this, check, check. We know friends that died, check, check. Here's your body of pills. Or here's your group therapy or this. And that doesn't help. <laughs> Listen to me and see what I need. <laughs> like it it you, produces zombies, like you said. It does. Everybody, <laughs> you know, and it is. And and you're already, I mean, we know anxiety and depression kind of go hand in hand. I used to not want to hear that. I'm like, please don't tell me one more thing that's wrong with me. I, I can't take anymore. I, I don't know how many mental health issues I need. I, I just feel like you're making words up now and telling me <laughs> I have it, you know, and it, you're already kind of in that state. And, and you go in, like you said, dimly lit places and they're just giving you pills and everyone looks so sad and it's, it's not, not helpful. <laughs> it's definitely not conducive to getting a healthy mental state out of the deal, right. which we should be seeking and uh, providing for our veterans and anyone really, not just veterans, everyone that's going through a mental, uh, mental health issue needs to get the, the proper help for them. It's kind of like, I always say, you don't go to the same hairdresser if they don't give you a good haircut. You go there and they messed up, you're not going back. So it's the same thing with a doctor. You want to go to a doctor that actually listens to you and wants to help you. And I think like you as a coach now, especially with anxiety, coaching people for anxiety, that's not an easy, that's not even an easy task at all. And I'm sure you're learning that as you grow your business more, each client has a different set of, uh, I guess, bag of, bag of issues with them that you have to deal with. What has been your biggest challenge knowing from where you came from to helping them? Oh, absolutely. Um, you're right about that. I mean, we all just have our own experiences that shape us and just our own idiosyncrasies and personality traits and schemas and you know that shape us like you said and it's just you can't do the one size fits all and the biggest challenge is because I really um like to be optimistic um I mean we know from neuroscience and epigenetics like you're biology and your state where you're at now is not your destiny. You can, you can change this. You are not like, because, you know, your parents had anxiety doesn't mean you will always have, you know, an anxiety disorder, things like that. So I really try and approach it from a hopeful perspective, because like we talked about before, it can become a, a little bit, I guess, um, heavy, you know, a, a real heavy thing where you're feeling a bit hopeless. Um, so, I would say two um, things with that, you know, one would be um, trying to meet them where they're at, because when you are in that state, it's difficult to be around someone that's, you know, um, 
has a lot of dissonance. You know, it's like, I, I don't believe this right now. And it's understandable. You've been in this dark space and and what we focus on increases. So of course you're filtering where, what I'm saying out and you're not doing it consciously and you're just kind of trying to confirm what you're already believing, you know, and, and, and I understand that. And um, the other one is when they ask me if I have anxiety anymore and I have to tell the truth. <laughs> and that is yes, because I'm human, we all do. However, it's no longer a cycle or a disorder. Um, but do I get nervous? Do I feel anxiety at times? Of course. Um, it's an opportunity, you know, to just, it's kind of just an indicator that I'm pushing my comfort zone again. It's, it doesn't mean what it used to. It's not, it's not overwhelming. Right. <laughs> it doesn't handcuff you now. So you're able to right. kind of get your battle, your battle gear on and fight through it now without showing that face. Right. However, you don't, you know, when you're trying to give someone hope, you don't want to tell them, yes, I still have anxiety, but I swear you'd be brain dead if, if you didn't. I swear we all would. Um, it's just part of the package of being human. <laughs> but I'm sure you had some anxious movements moving from California to Tennessee, two different worlds, two completely different worlds, California and Tennessee. And I'm sure coming into the state, how hard was that just doing that move and starting over here? Oh, um. Oh, I like that question. So actually, um, I did five years in the army. Um, and then I was, I was in till when I was in. So I don't know if you count that as a job. <laughs> Depends on which part, <laughs> which part of it. You know, it was a wide variety. <laughs> I did, uh, I did sell out and go into the contracting for a while. So I moved around for, for most of my life. And, and I think part of it was, you know, chasing the contracting and part of it was actually running for myself during those periods of anxiety and panic. I just, I needed some distraction, something new, you know, I'm, I'm getting restless. I'm getting, I can't sit with myself anymore. So it was always some kind of big move. So this, this particular move or wasn't much different, but maybe, um, I wasn't, I wasn't running from myself this time. I was um, running toward a cost of living that was affordable. So yeah. <laughs> that was good. Something I really like it here too. The people are very friendly and it's beautiful. Cost of living is affordable. I can feed myself. It's good. <laughs> Absolutely. Have you been here long? Uh, this time since 2010. Okay. So I was here in the 90s before everything built up around here. And now came back 2010, deployed right away, left for two years, but my family stayed here and then I came back. Nice. Like are, you, are you from this area? No, New Jersey. <laughs> totally different world. <laughs> yeah, very different. But, but most of my career was either south or west. So I started in Alabama, then uh, Georgia, Kansas, Korea, Kentucky, Alabama, of course, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Korea, and then back here. So I never got north. <laughs> yeah, they say you like the, you like the heat. <laughs> Yeah, they, they think I love it. They love I love to hear so much. They just kept me here. <laughs> I'm a loyal. I'm a loyalist here now. I guess so. I'm stuck here. I'm, I'm one of the team. Honorary Clarksville native. Yeah, I'm. I'm a Clarksvillian. Yes. <laughs> oh, is that what is that what we're called? I want to write that down. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, write it down. So you can steal my line too. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
So how did you do all your coaching online or do you any face to face as well? Um, so far it's been all uh, video and phone. Uh, I yeah, um, then I can work with people from all over, which is really nice because, you know, just, just being able to connect that way with someone that's, you know, been there and understands, you know, where they're at and what they're going through and, and help. Much bigger clientele base that way too. So, you, you know, you can have a diverse group of uh, clients at this time and be able to compare and contrast in your mind, not with them, of course, don't, don't compare them to patient A or client B and, and say, you're not doing anywhere near as good as this one, because that might lose you a client, but you can always take note to say, if this is working for them, maybe I can try a little bit of this with them. Have you seen yourself doing that saying, oh, I've seen this before in this client, maybe this will work? It happens a lot. I like to call anxiety and panic kind of a, um, can be a, it, and it doesn't feel this way, so I'm not trying to uh, minimize it. It's kind of a bit of a kitten in a lion's costume, though. Okay. And and when the lions, you stop scaring you, it, it'll sh it'll put on another costume, you know. Um, so a lot of times, that what's underlying is is very similar, um, especially when it comes to feeling sensations and that you know ruminating thoughts. They're a lot a lot more similar at their core than than we realize. Um, and so, yes, that happens often and it, and it's good because, you know, a lot of people, it's hard to feel like others understand you when you're going through that. It feels like a very isolating experience, which, which is tough. So to be able to not only recognize the similarities or commonalities between clients, but, um, you know, without names, of course, and in personal details, share that story with them. I, I believe it helps them feel like you know, they are connecting to someone else and they're not alone in this journey. I think that's the biggest thing. They're not alone. I think you, you've hit that a few times now that if they think they are alone, something's more wrong with them than we believe. So, or, or they believe is wrong with them because mm -hmm. everyone has some kind of issue going on. And they, a lot of people mask it kind of like the, the kitten in the lion's outfit. You mask your, people mask their problems pretty well. And it's usually the ones that have the most problems that you don't, don't know until it's too late. Right. And that's, that's so unfortunate. And, and I, um, I really, like you said, something that's kind of at the core of a lot of our, um, those of us that have struggled with it is like, you know, we feel like there's something wrong with us, inherently wrong with us. And we need to put that mask on because we're wired for that connection to others. And we're afraid that we won't be accepted as we are. And, and, you know, there's just something really flawed within us, especially when our bodies start doing you know, things that just feel so overwhelming, the, those panic attacks. I mean, in the moment, it's, it's like you're 30,000 feet in the air and someone just said the engine went. And I mean, that's what your body's revving up for. You're, you're, you know, and it's so out of context and you just feel like there's something really wrong with me and that, yeah, there's, there's really not, there's nothing wrong with you. You're perfect as you are. Just gotta, just gotta need a little help to work through it and understand there are tools out there to help you work through it. Yes. Yes. Do you want to talk about any of those or should we stop? Yeah, go ahead. Will yes. you share yours as well? If I, if, if you don't say them, yes. <laughs> okay. Deal. Okay. Um, yeah. So when I was starting to seek, you know, alternative options, cause I just really couldn't stomach coping strategies forever. It was just such an intense experience that that sounded awful to me. Um, I stumbled across, Dr. Claire Weeks, have you heard of her? 
No, I have not. So she was an Australian doctor from the late fifties, early sixties. And she was a real pioneer in um, anxiety and panic disorders. Uh, I think back then it was called paradoxical intention. And now it's kind of morphed into a subset of CBT. It's acceptance and commitment therapy. And basically, okay, so her book, if anyone wants to look it up, and I got a a disclaimer that the language is a bit out of date because it was from the 60s, so gender roles as well, sorry. But the content is fantastic. Like the actual takeaway content is really fantastic. Um, The book is called Hope and Help for Your Nerves. It's a really, I recommend the Audible. She has the sweetest, like grandmotherly, stern, but concerned voice with the Australian accent. And you can take it with you. It's about an hour long. (laughs) <laughs> you're feeling afraid I, I stumbled upon that and it and what she explained to me no one had explained to me yet about a panic attack and it was that although my panic attacks were coming out of the blue and they often do it's out of our conscious awareness what's triggering them I mean I could pinpoint that crowds did it standing in long lines things like that I understood that after a while but a lot of times they just kind of feel like they're out of the blue you have that initial rush of adrenaline and and you're panicking and your body's doing weird things and you're shaking, you know, and you're tensing up and all your muscles are prepping for fight, flight, you know, um, some sort of action, um, which is what we're supposed to do. Your body's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's just a little out of context. What happens next, and it's so hard to see because it happens so quickly, is that we react with more fear. We're afraid of that. Because why wouldn't we be? That feels so weird without something to, you know, a real danger in front of us. Um, And so that second fear is what we can actually change and control. And by doing that, by changing our response, by, you know, um, choosing to let the initial panic run its course and not prolonging it with more fear and resistance and tension, Um, we're actually sending the signal back through our nervous system to our brain that this is actually an okay, you know, it's okay right now. And over time, those old habituated patterns of reaction, um, you know, because neuroplasticity that that are worn in there with it, they're going to start changing and the new response will take hold. And eventually after some practice, that'll become the new automatic response to where when it first comes up. There's actually not much of a reaction. And this takes a little time. I'm not trying to make it sound, you know, easy. It is simple, but not easy. Um, Really, really not easy. And that's an understatement because I've been there. Um, You know, just letting it kind of, kind of softening into it a little bit at a time with gradual exposure uh, is really just going to desensitize that nervous system. It's going to let them know in these situations, you know, everything is okay. And over time, you're not going to have those same responses because, you know, you've already wired a new response. And just understanding that was so helpful for me. I didn't know that I had any type of control in that situation. It just felt like I was being overtaken by sensations and feelings, you know, it just completely hijacked. I didn't know that I could do anything. So I think that little bit of, you know, choice, power and control, because, you know, we, those of us that maybe struggle with this, like to have a little control and <laughs> have control. <laughs> I feel you have control at least. Yes, absolutely. Oh, that was very helpful. So that, that book was great. Um, that's where I started. And then I just, 
yeah, really, really practiced with that. And then some things I did outside of that gradual exposure, trying to leave the house again, drive a car again, all of those things, you know, and work through the panic attacks until, you know, I was back, back into the world. Um, I said, I, I really started practicing being my body. I don't know if that was something you struggled with. I real, real spent a lot of time in my head, not a lot of time in my body, not knowing when it was tensing up. No, I never had that. <laughs> yeah. Well, if anyone listening has, they know. I'm sure others have, yes. Um, so just, just kind of setting alarms throughout the day on my phone, do a quick body scan, see where you're at. Is your jaw clenched? Is the is your you know tongue on the roof of your mouth? Because all these all these things are actually you know the tense muscles are sending signals that you know you're you're a little vigilant. You're you're on guard. You know something. You're waiting for something. Yeah, you're just kind of adding stress to stress to stress, and it's no wonder we end up, you know, kind of having an anxiety or panic attack, feeling overwhelmed. It's a hard way to go through life, so so yes. and rigidly. <laughs> I know you, you did. You get into yoga as part of this? I did. Yes. So that's that's a good escape as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Treatment, not escape. It's a good way to go through. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that was good. Do you do yoga as well? I tried it uh, twice. Uh, I mean, uh, one of my former soldiers, RJ Birdies, uh, he was on the video in the beginning. Uh, we went, as soon as I got out, he had just got medically put out here. And uh, we went to a yoga studio here in Clarksville. And for some reason, we took it as a challenge accepted. We were doing all the advanced moves before we should have been doing anything. We did headstands. I bet you can't do it. I bet you can't do it. So we did all that. We had fun, but it, it, it just wasn't for us. We understood the, the meaning of it and how it can help you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, please tell me there's a video of that. I, no, not at that time, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny, yes. <laughs> that would be wonderful to see, though. Oh, my gosh. We laugh about it when we talk. About it. We, we talk uh, probably monthly. We have a good talk, and we always laugh about the stupid things we did during times. Uh, we went for a run out by the winery, and this little, it's like a weird-looking dog, like a devil dog came out of this yard and just started chasing us out of nowhere. We didn't hear it bark or anything else that came at us. And I was spraying water at it and it went after him more because I took off. I said, let's go, man. And he wasn't catching up. Was, man, come on. <laughs> and we talk about the dog all the time. So things like that. And that was part of our, our escape or our treatment for ourselves was running, working out, doing things like that. And something I did throughout my career, wherever I went, I would journal. I'd go through the day and then I'd write down everything. So in case I don't forget, in case I did forget, it was there. Yeah, I knew what happened that day. I can go back and say, yes, yeah, what happened? And maybe this is when this started for me and things like that. And every deployment, I have whole books of like it's actual paper for most of them until the last one and a half I did on computer. Those are great. I really like that. I mean, um, especially, yeah, the physical exercise helps quite a bit. I'm pretty sure that's why I go to the gym in the morning. That's my temple time. I go in there. I just, even if the gym's jam packed, I don't see anybody. I see me in the weights and I just escape, no headphones on. I just work out and then I leave. That's it. It's just me and my head and go. And that's how I feel better for the rest of the day. Yeah, that's great. It really does. It, it helps a lot. And it, the value of it, I mean, we used to hate it when you're in the Army, of course. <laughs> you know, we never really do PT. You have to do your two mile run, you have to do this. And then you get out and like, I don't have to do it anymore. But maybe I should. Maybe I should keep get get back into this a little bit and get back to being a better healthy person. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it is easy to let it slide, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's helpful. Very helpful. Uh, one of the listeners said he spends too much time in his head sometimes. So he lets something get in there, just like it's rattle around and, yep. and fight him, fight himself basically all day. Oh, that's, that's hard. Um, yeah. yeah, I know. I, I feel like um, in our heads, it's, it's like a courtroom, you know, um, you know, and it's just there go those lawyers going back and forth, going back and forth. And it's like, gosh, and both make such good points, especially if you spend a lot of time in your head. Um, yeah. So to keep that metaphor going, the goal and, um, you know, just kind of practicing mindfulness and things like that is to be the courtroom right? The observer. So not getting too invested in that. Um, another thing that I like to do a lot is we do, we do get in our heads, we do self monitor or kind of get lost, you know, um, in rumination or thought. So just kind of, it sounds great. Like he's already got awareness. He's catching himself doing it. So at that point, just really, and it's uncomfortable, but uh, and you might have to do it within a few seconds over and over. Just refocus your attention externally, you know, on something external, your five senses, um, you know, just just and it does feel strange if you're used to kind of being lost in your head, thinking about things. Um, so that's when I would, like I said earlier, would do kind of the body scans, because not only that is going to help you see where your attention lies, but it'll focus your mind where you want it. You tell it you tell you, you know, your mind where to go. Sometimes I feel like they're in control of us. Um, so just, yeah, if, if you're lost in your head, yeah, I would just keep refocusing your attention externally um, quite a bit. And, and you'll have to do it over and over. And honestly, even just since social media and technological advances, like our biology is not caught up to that. And our attention spans are terrible because of it. You know, it's not, you're not alone. <laughs> you know, it's hard. You have to just keep refocusing over and over, but just know that each time you do it, it's like bicep curls for the brain. Yep. You know, you, you know, you don't go to the gym once like and get strong, but you will, it will change with repetition and consistency. Not every, not every workplace has a punching bag. You can turn around and punch to get out of your own head. So you have to find other ways to do things. <laughs> I also appreciate that approach. I feel like sometimes I'm lacking testosterone when I give advice. So <laughs> thank you for adding that. It's it's great. Also do that. I got a punching bag in the room next door here. So I hit that as much as possible. <laughs> that will get you right back in your body and in the present moment. And and your hands might hurt a little bit, but you'll be all right. <laughs> yes. Get your focus on You're in Clarksville. I might try that if you don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> Start beating things up. Yeah. What do you um? What's helped you with that? Just out of curiosity, if you don't mind. With me getting out of my head, mm -hmm. uh, just staying constant with the physical activity and keeping myself busy. Like my day, I work an eight-hour, eight-plus-hour job, depending on the day, and then I do the podcast, and then I'm also going for my PhD right now. So my day is jam-packed, keeping me busy. I start early, still start early, just like was in, I was in the army. I don't, I still get up four thirty, five o'clock. Plus, my dog thinks he's gonna die if he doesn't eat by five o'clock. So I have to get up with him at five, and then I go to the gym, and then start the day every day. Do do the cycle and keep myself moving. The days when I don't do the whole cycle is when I feel the worst. Right. So that that helps out a lot. Yeah. 
And congratulations on going for your PhD. That's amazing. Thank you. My brother said moonshine also helps. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's it's a fun temporary solution, bro. <laughs> I have it in my bar downstairs. <laughs> there you go. Kentucky, right? <laughs> yes. Well, it's in Tennessee, but it, it was made halfway, half in Kentucky. I flavor it here. So. Yes. <laughs> Take that plus on that one. Because <laughs> we are we are in the borderlands here, so you got to give them some credits. Yeah, just a little though. Just a little bit. You don't want to give them too, too generous. You get a little crazy about it. Yeah. So do you, do you ever find yourself if you're not staying on the cycle, losing it a little bit during the day? Me? I'm sorry. Yes, you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't know if it was a listener question or um, if we were, you know, diving a little deeper on that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I there's times where I have to um, kind of tighten up my meditation, mindfulness practices. Yes. If, and, it, and it's funny you mentioned it. It is actually I notice it's correlated with when I am very busy because, you know, I'm not perhaps being as mindful as I could be or you know, like embodied presence. I'm just, you know, knocking things off the list, getting them done. And it does feel great, but in a way it's almost, um, I don't know, it, distracting. It can be distracting. So then I do yeah. notice, like, uh, I do have to force myself and it feels good. It feels so productive and you're doing stuff. And I, and I have to actually make myself take a 10 minute break and just kind of let my mind rest or something like that. And, it, and it, that feels uncomfortable too. I don't like doing it. I like that productive go kind of feeling, you know, busy schedule. So yeah, just being mindful of that. I had a guest on, I think, last year, and what he does during the day, he'll just shut down for 30 minutes and go into a dark room. Mm -hmm. Just let it blank out everything for 30 minutes every day and recharge, recharge, reset, and get right back at it. So, yeah, I, I love that. I love that. And if you have the time, I, I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah, I would. Um, but like you said, it's probably not for everybody, right? There's also punching bags and exactly see <laughs> yep that's why it's individual treatment <laughs> everything's for the individual yes so it's an awesome thing you said you were in intel and you said it wasn't really a soldier but what part of intel were you i have to ask <laughs> <laughs> i was just teasing yeah because i want to know what you did too but i just I, I feel like intel comes with a disclaimer and you know a lot of jokes so um i was uh imagery imagery huh? i was gonna say geospatial before yes said that. how'd you know you know, I just wanted to look at pictures and not write reports. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, uh, when I first got out, the first uh, contractor job I had was teaching intelligence, even though I did nothing with intelligence in the Army. So I learned all about the, the golfs, how they did their stuff and the imagery and all that. And uh, human dudes. I worked with a lot of human uh, guys and girls in the service. I loved that job and uh, counter intel people. I love them guys. But the imagery dudes, I always thought they were just like these people that stayed in a dark room and uh, no windows and hung out. And and then I met them here at Fort Campbell. And then that's exactly what they were. I called them the squints when I first met them here. And I said, do you guys ever go outside? You're all pasty and stay in the building. <laughs> <laughs> but they, yeah. they were happy in the building. <laughs> yeah, I can't even argue with any of that. Yeah, you know that. <laughs> Me personally, I was a chemical soldier. So. What, was, what was your MOS? Uh, 74 Delta, chemical. Oh, nice. So I, I did I did that as my profession, but I mostly stayed with either infantry, armor, or engineers my whole career. So. Oh, okay, yeah. I didn't get to do my job. So like you guys probably got to actually do your jobs. So. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I'm not going to lie. When you said that, I, I was, I had no clue what, what that entailed. I'm sorry. <laughs> I really didn't. <laughs> you, <laughs> you played it off well. Thank you. Oh, I told him myself. Uh, I don't know if you want to tell me, but that's all right. <laughs> tell you what? What it, what, what it was that chemical was. You know, like when you went to the gas chamber? Oh, yeah. You know, we're the ones that put the gas in the chamber. We taught you how to wear your mask and all that oh, stuff. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So we tried to protect you on the battlefield by by torturing you a little bit and then letting you know it worked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the little bit I've gotten to know your personality, that seems fitting. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> this, uh, my brother and um, and Jake and Chad are probably uh, laughing at that as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> They, they know my personality very well. <laughs> if you can give the audience uh, maybe three things they can do a day to slightly change their routine, to maybe get out of their own head, maybe stop the cycle of anxiety, what would that be? So I know, I know it's a big buzzword, mindfulness, um, but it, it is effective. Um, and there are a lot of different ways to do it. So you don't have to go into a dark room and meditate for, for however long to get the benefits. I mean, mindfulness is just, um, you know, coming back into the present moment in your senses. And you can do that at any point throughout your day. So say you're listening to an audible or somebody tell a story that should have taken five minutes and they're on minute 18 and your mind is starting to wander off, right? Cause you're just starting to check out. Well, you just catch it and bring it back and, and focus back on what that person's saying or what, you know, the narrator saying or things like that. Or, um, you know, and each time you do that, each time you catch it and bring it back, like I said, it's like that bicep curl for the brain and really in just eight weeks, I mean, you're making structural changes in your brain um, to where you're just really increasing your psychological flexibility. You're, you're, you'll be more present naturally. You're in control of where your mind goes and you won't get as lost in those thoughts. You'll taking a step back. You won't be as stuck in your head. You'll be more present. And it's really a cool experience. Have you practiced with it, Rich? With mindfulness? Yes. Yes. and it almost brightens colors. I know that sounds a little woo-woo. Can you edit that? It does, though. It does. It, it just really changes things. This isn't the network TV. I can't just edit on the fly here, but yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. I'm on the radio right now. <laughs> All right. We'll let it slide. The colors are so bright in here right now. <laughs> you really are. It's a little yellow, I think. <laughs> so what's the second tip you would give them? Um. So the second tip for... Yeah, anxiety. So, you know, our initial response is to distract, numb, and avoid from it because it doesn't feel good and that's understandable. So even if you can just sit with it for 15 seconds to start, I mean, gradually we want to increase this, like whatever your thing is, mine, mine was alcohol um, for a long time. So I'm feeling very, especially social anxiety, you know, I'm feeling very overwhelmed. This is a crowded place. I need to, I need to start drinking so that I can feel normal again, you know? Um, 
So with that, I would experiment, and this could be anything, whatever your answer is, food, alcohol, um, any anything you use to avoid or, you know, numb or distract from, just pause for 15 seconds before you do the thing and, and let, let the feeling be there. Just be with it. Um, don't do anything. And that's, that's a lot harder than it sounds. It, it really is. Um, and once again, it's, it has the same effect. You're interrupting those habituated, you know, reactions to the feelings. And, and that's how you get out of the cycle over a little bit of time. And not as much time, no matter how long you've been battling this, because like I said, mine, mine was probably my whole life. I didn't know what it was. You know, when you're little, you don't. Um, but like the real sticky stuff for over a decade. And, and it probably took me just to like desensitize and get out of it um, three, three months three, four months. So it really is not, don't, don't worry if it's been a very long time. Like it, it's, the brain is amazing. I mean, you really can change yes. that much quicker than, you know, than it seems. Definitely. I just read a book, uh, Atomic Habits. Uh, <laughs> it was three books ago, actually, three books ago, I had that one on my Audible. So I, I've changed what I do in my car now. I used to just rage to music as I'm driving to work. And try through these great Clarksville roads or I-24 to get to work. And I figured I'd need to get something to calm me down a little more. So I started doing books. I'm on my fifth book since August. And Atomic Habits taught me a lot of things about making those habits that actually work for you. and Do things, do them repetitively until it becomes the norm. So that habit becomes your norm. And I thought yep. that was an awesome, awesome tip in that book. Yeah, that's a that's a great book. I like that one. It does talk about it. And it is it, it, I like the analogy because a lot of, you know, uh, military and veterans, the, you know, like you said, the common language is PT, right? Working out. I mean, we know at the gym, it takes consistency and repetition if you want to see results. It's the same thing with the, you know, with the brain and habits. Definitely. And what's the final one? The final tip? Oh, gosh. You're on the spot now. I know. I'm, oh, oh, I'm cutting out tunnel. <laughs> um, <laughs> after you fake it on a chemical I gotta keep getting <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, yeah so we did the external focus we did the power of the pause um, so for a practical tip I would I would say if, if the trouble is um, being in your head quite a bit, then I do like the idea of learning how to be in your body because you probably don't realize just how much stress and tension you're carrying around. Um, because, you know, the mind-body connection, if your mind is racing and ruminating, your body is tensing in reaction to that. And, and our brains don't really know you know, real from imagine, especially if you have a rich inner life. So, you know, whether that's good or bad or both, um, your body is responding to that. So, um, yeah, just, just really taking, set an alarm. I, I mean, if you're an overachiever five times a day, if you just want to give it a little try once or twice morning and evening and, and it takes about 30 seconds to go head to toe. And, and for me, I was, I lived so much in my head. I couldn't feel my toes until like a week into trying these body scans. I'm like, I, I don't know what, what are those supposed to feel like? I have no idea. It was really strange, but neat once you keep trying it. So yeah, just learning to be a little more embodied. Um, I think that that'll go a long way to get out of here. Awesome. I think the audience enjoyed that one there. Uh, my brother said, you need to hang out with the host. He will feed you drinks until all, all, the, all your bad thoughts go away. Something, uh -huh. 
something he's getting used to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. See, it's, a, it's an individual-centered approach. Yeah, see? <laughs> it works. Works for some, not for everybody. <laughs> I mean, I heard moonshine. Is it is it Friday or Tuesday? It's it's whatever. Okay. <laughs> well, Bill, are we wrapping this up? Taco Tuesday, margaritas, <laughs> whatever. All right. <laughs> uh, so, where can people get in contact with you to either learn more about you or get in, in with you for some coaching? Uh, yes. So, my website is lisafetterlinecoaching.com. Um, and I, I. Don't um, I just started a Twitter account? Woo. I know I'm not a big social media person. I've, I uh, I am trying. I know it's important. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I'll be on there soon if I learn how to use it. <laughs> I met you on Instagram. So. <laughs> yes, you did. And then you and, and I did try Facebook also. I'm still trying to find what fits. <laughs> Same thing. So you got to find the thing that works best for you. Yes. Awesome. Thank uh, you. Lisa, this has been great hanging out with you tonight. Uh, I hope you had as much fun as we did and the audience had fun as well. And we should do this again sometime and, and laugh a little more and, and get a lot more off our chest. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for having me, Rich. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate no it. Uh, just stay, stay on the line. We'll, we'll talk after the branding goes off. In October 2019, Arlington, Texas was chosen to be the home of a new national museum, unlike any other. The National Medal of Honor Museum will be a unique home of military history. The 100,000 square foot museum will house exhibits, archives, and artifacts relating to the 3,500 U.S. troops who have been awarded the medal, the nation's highest honor for valor in combat. The museum will have 31,000 square feet of galleries dedicated to U.S. troops who have received the award. The museum CEO, former Navy SEAL and NASA astronaut Chris Cassidy said the museum will focus on education as much as preservation. The building will have five areas dedicated to Medal of Honor winners from the Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, and Coast Guard. The main gallery will be located in a central plaza under a 25,000 square foot slab of steel, which will appear to be suspended in midair. It will be supported by five pillars. Black Rifle Coffee is a corporate sponsor of the museum, as are the Dallas Cowboys. The museum's board also includes over a dozen major corporations and six Medal of Honor recipients, including David Bellavia, Patrick Brady, and Britt Slabinski. Army Staff Sergeant Bellavia was awarded the medal for clearing an entire house by himself on November 10, 2004, as a squad leader in support of Operation Phantom Fury in Fallujah, Iraq. He killed four enemy fighters and wounded a fifth in close quarters battle. Army Major General Brady flew and coordinated the evacuation of 51 seriously wounded men during a firefight in Vietnam in January 1968. Slabinski, a Navy SEAL chief and team leader, led a rescue team of SEALs during Operation Anaconda in Afghanistan in March 2002. Slabinski and his team flew to a mountaintop ambush site to rescue Petty Officer First Class Neil Roberts, who had fallen from the back of a helicopter. Slabinski led the team through almost constant combat against an entrenched Taliban force. Along with the board members, former presidents Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama serve as honorary directors. The museum is expected to open to the public in late 2024.
Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. That's themisfitnation.com. Check out all of our past episodes and get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Because we are Misfit Nation. Misfit Nation. Misfit Nation.